How does God respond to pride? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every era of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, brand manager of The Gospel Project, and with me today is my guest co-host, Sam O'Neill, who is part of our Gospel Project for Kids team. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Yeah. Uh, You you survived Thanksgiving. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, at at this point, I'm just glad that it's finally acceptable to listen to uh, Christmas music. Not in my house. Really? (laughs) <laughs> for me, for me, it's as soon as Thanksgiving ends, man, you crank that Christmas music all the way. That music is not on yet, and the Christmas tree is not up, and the decorations are not happening. None of it's going on yet. When does that start for you? Well, um, so my running joke on on social media is yeah. like the 23rd. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, I am – but, I mean, in all, in all seriousness, I um, – I I do prefer more of a um, festive cheer explosion, okay, than a um, than a uh, a long you know the the slower savoring kind of thing. I'm like, no no no, just give me. It's like candy. It's like just stuff the whole thing in my mouth because I sure. want the I want the flavor okay. blast. You know, I can um, respect that. Which is probably not healthy, but I, I um, do think I do think of all the different ways people can fall in that. I think I prefer that to the people who are like, "Oh, let's start listening to Christmas music on Halloween." Right. Or like, you know, Labor Day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Gosh. We have so many coworkers who do that, and I respect them, but they're wrong. But yep. um <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Trevor Wax, we just Good called people, you out. Bad choices. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um Yes, we love you, Trevin. <laughs> but uh, but no, seriously, it, for us, it's probably um, I don't I can't see us having the having our decorations up before the fifteenth. Okay, um, that that feels like it's going to be the day. So sure. about a week and a half, two weeks of decorations being up. Last year, um, we like Emily and the kids. All decided they were taking down the Christmas tree on the 26th. Whoa. It was like Christmas is all done. You so Canadians in your out. boxing day. <laughs> we're very serious about boxing day. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, we put all of our stuff back in the boxes. Yep. And then we're, we are back to work. And then we're back to normal life. And it's great. Um, except for all the leftovers that are still available. And that's mm, also great. I love leftovers. So, I know. There's going to be leftovers for days. Um, but let's be careful on those because, you know, we don't want to hurt ourselves too much. <laughs> so anyway, that's not what we're talking about today, though. We Because we are here. We are on a mission. We are talking about um, the book of Daniel today. And so we are continuing specifically a quick survey that we're doing of this book. Um, and today we are focusing on chapter four. So last week was a bit intense because we kind of had to we had to do a lot of setup. Yeah. And so we had fun talking about the the. In- 
that was fun because we ended up talking about um, basically the first three chapters of the book before really getting deep into our discussion on chapter three. Today, we don't have to worry about that quite so much yeah. because we are talking about a sing- the chapter that happens right after. Yes. Um, but it's a, an incredibly important event. It's it's again, it's going to be a very familiar one um, to many Christians, but um, as is often the case, um, scripture scripture has multiple th- has themes that are repeated all throughout, um, and even when it's not just simply a theme that is um, that's repeated here. Um, which it is, but because this passage itself is so familiar to us, um, what we should remember is that just because it is familiar, we don't want to assume that we know everything right. that there is to know. And I do think it's slightly less familiar than some of the other, like it's, sure. you know, than the lion's den or, or that sure. sort of thing. I mean, but, of the, of but the yeah. Daniel passages that, that you could look at, it's probably the least, the least familiar famous or familiar of them. Right. But it's still pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Pretty well known. Um, so, um, so let's pick, let's pick this up. So, um, where, where are we finding ourselves in Daniel's narrative? So in Daniel four, uh, it picks up basically right after the, um, fiery furnace episode, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has at this point, And if you, if you listened to last week's episode, you heard, I, I mentioned that King Nebuchadnezzar is probably my favorite person in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I think that his story is so fascinating. Um, But Daniel 3 ends with him basically acknowledging this this God of the the Jews is the most powerful God among many gods that Mm -hmm. I recognize. So he kind of ends this spot where he's maybe taken a step towards worshiping God, but he certainly is not at this point someone whose faith is in the Lord. Right. Uh, And it picks up, Daniel 4 picks up with him basically just being kind of an arrogant, you know, look at look at He's just being an arrogant king. Yeah. (laughs) He's looking at his kingdom and he's saying, I did this. Mm -hmm. This is my kingdom. I built this. Look how great I am. Yeah. And what's what's fascinating is is when when like Daniel chapter four is a fascinating one because it's actually written apparently by King Nebuchadnezzar himself. Yeah, it, it seems to be. And so it's it's written as like it's written in that language. So whether whether one of his scribes like whether he dictated it to right. say Daniel, for example, um that that seems pretty likely. But this is his account. Himself, and um, one of the key things that that's important here is is that when it opens up, um, the first three verses are praising God. Yeah, and then he backtracks and is like, "And here's where I was." Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So this is basically a really great like testimonial, like testimony type um, format chapter mm-hmm. that's really wild. It's really, really awesome. And so, um, and so in this chapter, uh, Daniel, Daniel is a key, key part of it. And we get to, and we're reminded that he also like his, like his other friends, um, and like so many of the, the captured Jews, who were now working and living in service to the Babylonian uh, court and government, um, he had been renamed as yeah. well. So and interestingly, it, last week we talked about how uh, 
the the three friends of Daniel are more commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah. which would have been their Babylonian names. Yes. We don't use Daniel's Babylonian name yeah, this because is, it's really hard to say. Right. <laughs> this is basically like the only really, this chapter is really the only time yeah. we see this name appear. And Belteshazzar. what's funny is, is, yeah, is say my, that again. That, Belteshazzar is my best stab at it. That's a that's a pretty confident uh, And I've I've been told stab. the key with the difficult Bible names is you just say it like you're confident that that's right. You say and no one else will question you. They'll just be like, "Oh, that's Exactly. Say it. say it like you mean it. <laughs> that's right. Um so Belteshazzar, more commonly known as da- as Daniel. Um I almost said David there. That would have been yeah. funny. <laughs> um he and what's hilarious is is that um Nebuchadnezzar in in dictating this story or writing this story he he is he keeps going back and forth too mm-hmm. and he's like and so Daniel whose name is this um and Daniel whose name is this and occasionally he says Belteshazzar answered and then it goes back to and Daniel said whose name is uh Belteshazzar said this yeah <laughs> um it's just hilarious how he keeps doing that but yeah. it's like he you there's almost this internal wrestling that's going on or it seems like but um in this chapter, we find that Nebuchadnezzar has another dream that frightens him. And so he issues a decree and he wants um, he wants the uh, magicians and mediums and diviners of the Chaldeans uh, to interpret the dream. Now, the last time we see him have a dream in chapter two, um, he says, um, I'm not even going to tell you what the dream is. Yeah. You've got to tell me. Mm-hmm. And then also interpret it. Yeah. This time he's like, I'm going to tell you what it is because it's weird. Yeah. And then he's like, and so what is this? None of these guys who were not Daniel could tell him what it meant. Mm-hmm. And then Daniel um, gets his turn. And so he hears what it is. He hears the dream and it's, and this is what he says that, um, Uh, There was a tree in the middle of the earth, and it was very tall. The tree grew large and strong. Its top reached to the sky, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Wild animals found, uh, found shelter under it, and the birds of the sky lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. As I was lying in my bed, I also saw in in the visions of my mind a watcher, a holy one, uh, coming coming down from heaven. And he called out loudly, cut down the tree and chop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the the trees and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and, and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the plants of the earth uh, with the animals. Let his mind be changed from that of a human and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. This, is, this word is by decree of the watchers and the decision is by command from the holy ones. This is so that the living will know that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. And so this was his dream. And he said, I have no idea what this means. Can you tell me? And so Daniel says, yup. But he starts by saying, may the dream apply to those who hate you. 
and its interpretation to your enemies. So that doesn't like if I, I just I like, mean, this is a bad news. dream. Yeah, if I'm Nebuchadnezzar and the person that I know can interpret the dream correctly starts by telling me, let it let it be to your enemies, not to you. That's the moment where I'm like, oh, crud. Yep. It's like, oh, dear. <laughs> Nothing good comes after that. No, no. This is like <clears throat> and this is like saying that something good can happen after 2 a.m. Just yeah. <laughs> nothing good happens. So um, so so Daniel says, so here's here's what this means. It means that God is going to judge you and take your kingdom from you. He is going to give you the mind of an animal and you are going to walk and you will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the most high that God is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants Um, as for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge the heaven the heaven that heaven rules Um, and so that's the end of the interpretation but then Daniel does goes one step farther and he says so King Nebuchadnezzar you need to acknowledge this now. That, yeah. And that's a risky thing for him to do. Yeah, absolutely. For him to say, King, I'm telling you, this is going to go bad for you. This is your only, this is the only way that you can, you can avoid this punishment. This is going to happen. Yeah. Please acknowledge that God is God over you too. That you are not. Um, that you are not your own deity, that you right. have not given yourself this kingdom, but that he has given it to you for his purposes. Humble yourself is what he says. Yeah. And it's not uh, often that a, that a servant will tell a king, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to humble yourself. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a bold move. Uh, let's see how it pays off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was hoping you were going to say that. Um, so, but of course... <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't. He doesn't humble himself. No. Uh, and basically, a year later, he does the same thing where he's walking around on the roof of his palace and just admiring himself, admiring his kingdom, basking in what what he perceives as his own self-made glory. Yep. Uh, and then he loses his mind. Yes. Yeah. Um, but then seven periods of time pass. Yeah. And he comes to himself and he acknowledges that God is indeed the ruler over all. And so the and so his mind is restored to him. His kingdom is restored to him. And uh, verse 34 picks up, it says, but at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the most high and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven. And the inhabitants of the earth, there is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? It goes on, and then in verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens, because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Hmm. I can't say for certain, but to me, when I read that passage, that sounds like a man who went from, oh, yeah, God is really powerful, but he's one God among many to a person who's like, no, there is one God and I will worship that God only. Yeah. So we don't know for sure whether or not Nebuchadnezzar came to a place of faith in God that would save him. But 
my best guess is that he probably did. That's what this sounds like to it, me. It's It does sound that way. And so that actually um, took care of uh, one of the first questions that we should be asking. Oh, in, <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, this happens all the time on this show. Um, that's but, what happens when you have a guest host who's not as prepared, right? It's all right. No, it's fine. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Brian and I do it all the time. So, um, but it, it does take care of one of the one of those questions that we should be asking when we read and study this passage because it's natural to wonder: Did he truly repent? And the truth is, we don't know. Yeah. But the text seems to indicate yes. Because this is all we hear. This is the end of Nebuchadnezzar's story, right? In Scripture, mm-hmm. um, we ultimately we have to look at um, we have to look beyond Scripture to see what else happened in his life, and right. um, yeah, and 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 go from there. So, but there there's another question that we should be asking as well, which is um, the question of of the periods of time. So the the text says that uh he'll be he'll he'll have the kingdom stripped away from him mm-hmm. for seven periods of time. Um which is a very ambiguous term. Yes. Um and so and the text doesn't actually make it clear here. But elsewhere in scripture we see this this other kind of language and so some commentators do feel that um it's best understood as being years yeah so and 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 i think that makes sense um that this wouldn't have been a a a seven days or seven hours it could have been seven months Mm -hmm. um it could have been seven weeks i mean that would be a long both of those would be a significant amount of time right but seven years um is you know is it fits with a lot of it just fits with the overall patterns and narrative of scripture that um, this this idea of perfection and completion that comes from the number seven, um, the fact that uh, God frequently <laughs> frequently works in patterns of seven years um, yeah. all throughout. Um, so I would I mean I would hold it very very openly, but I w- but it seems to me that seven years would be the way to the way to interpret this. Yeah. And and just to kind of tack on a little bit, yeah. One of the things to keep in mind is that it says that he um, he was however long the period the seven periods are. It says that um, his hair grew like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. Right. So there is this sense of it. It was a long time. It right. wasn't. Like, it definitely was not seven days. Right. Right. It, yeah. There was a significant amount of time. I've gone maybe two three weeks without trimming my nails before. Uh, I don't usually, you know, just yeah, yeah, to be fine. clear. Yeah. But I have. You're a tiny I would, man. I would not at all describe my my nails as bird's claws. So there's a there's a lengthiness to it for certain. That's that's for sure. Um, and one of the other questions that we should be asking in this is is really uh, why does God care so much about pride? Yeah, that is such an important question. It is. Um, for me, uh, confession time. Pride is something that I do struggle with. Even mm-hmm. when I'm trying to show humility, I often in the back of my head, the secret part of my brain is like, yeah, you look so humble. That's a good look. <laughs> and it's like, no, stop it. Stop it. It's oh. not humility if you're like prideful about if how I'm humble you seem. You, but, but, but Sam, how will anyone know that I'm being humble if I don't tell them? Right, right. So, um, but I think, I think that... Um, <laughs> Ultimately, what pride does is it strips 
or, or attempts to strip God of his deserved glory. When we show pride, we are essentially taking something that belongs rightfully and only to the Lord mm-hmm. and attributing it to us. Um, because no matter what gifts or skills or talents we have, no matter how much time we spend practicing and honing those, ultimately everything we have is from the Lord. Even mm-hmm. even just the common grace of God, the fact that we have breath in our lungs and life to live yeah. is from God. Yeah. And if we're not using those gifts to glorify him, then we're essentially robbing him of glory that that belongs to him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a good reminder too that it's like the gospel does challenge us to deny ourselves for the sake of others and for God's glory. Yeah. That means that our whole lives are supposed to be about showing others how good how good God is and not how how great or cool or interesting we are. Mm-hmm. Um and so if we are if we're content to live pridefully, if we are boasting as Nebuchadnezzar did uh, at the beginning of all of this, I mean, honestly, we should we should be fairly confident that God is going to humble us. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. And that in itself will be a a good opportunity for Him to glorify Himself, um, even as we are either humbled or humiliated yeah. in it. Now. Um, here's the next question. How does this, how does this experience of Nebuchadnezzar that we read about in Daniel chapter four, how does this point us to Jesus? One of the first things that I think sticks out to me is this idea of how Nebuchadnezzar saw himself. He saw himself as essentially the greatest king that would ever come. Yes. The greatest king that could exist. Yes. Uh, I think to some extent that might have even been fueled by the earlier dream he had about the statue. Yeah. Because the head of the statue in his dream was gold. And Daniel told him it basically represents the glory of the kingdom of Babylon and you, its king. So he comes out of this... um, experience, I think, to some extent, that that dream probably fueled some of that pride. This mm-hmm. idea of like, I'm I'm the golden head of this statue, forgetting about the rest of the dream where the golden head eventually succumbs to the silver, to the iron, to the uh, and then to everything, the mountain that crushes it all. But um, the point, I guess, that I'm making is that it gives us this picture of the the brokenness of mm-hmm. exalting a human to a position that belongs to God. Who yeah. is the greatest king that could ever be? It's Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And what what's also amazing is, is that um, it's not just um, that Jesus is the greatest king. Jesus is a, is a humble king. Yeah. And so he's better than any other king that that exists. And so we don't serve a king, we don't, and we don't serve a God who um, merely calls us to be humble while he acts arrogantly. Right. This this is the thing that is unique about the disposition of God among, um, you know, if you were to stack the the God of the Bible up against the 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 gods of mythology, um, mm-hmm. like think Roman mythology, yeah. um, Norse myths, all of these kinds of things, they're arrogant nut jobs yeah yeah <laughs> as characters because they're all they're all just us right 
Exactly. And, except amplified. They're worse than us in so many ways. And what the Bible describes is a God who is so much better than us, who is good to his people um, and, um, and, and is truly humble. Mm-hmm. And in Jesus, we see this king of kings, this Lord of lords who humbled himself by taking on flesh and laying down his life to build a people for his father's glory. Yeah. So, yeah, Jesus didn't walk around the, you know, the roof of his palace, heaven, so to speak, yeah. looking down at earth and being like, look how great I am. Instead, he put on flesh and came to be the savior that we needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, I mean, coming up on the Christmas season here, we're, we're in it, uh, except you not till the 15th. Uh, <sighs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. But but it just it boggles my mind. Uh, And although some of these songs have uh, some theological issues that we don't need to get into right now. Christmas shoes, especially. Oh, I don't want (laughs) to. That is not a song that I was going to talk about. Uh, But some of these songs that that always move me emotionally the Mm -hmm. most are the ones that talk about the idea of God putting on flesh. Yes. Um, So, again, some of them have some theological issues, obviously. But songs like Mary, Did You Know, um, Welcome to Our World these songs that that they just kind of help me contemplate the the mind-boggling fact that the god of all creation became fully human. Yeah. And sometimes it just breaks my brain and I'm yeah. like, all right, I need to go reboot. Yeah, but and and I think that's I think that's something that it's meant to do. Is yeah. It's kind of just yeah, like Yeah, absolutely. It shouldn't be something that we can easily grasp. Now, um Let's think about let's think about this passage from the perspective of um, a group leader or someone who's in student ministry, kids ministry, or um, is um, engaging in one-on-one discipleship. Someone who's basically a disciple who is making another disciple. Yeah, um, you know all that stuff that we're all called to do. So, what kind of guidance can we offer them um, as we work through this passage? Yeah, I think. One thing that hopefully will help be some guidance as you walk through that process is to ask the question, how do you respond to God's interruptions in life? Mm-hmm. There, are, there are all kinds of situations where I especially am so guilty of this, of like just kind of getting in my groove and just plowing through with the thing, you know, checking off things that I need to get done, whatever. And sometimes when when something interrupts me, it's almost always I see it as a burden rather than an opportunity. But so how do we respond to those? Um, It's going to do a really good job, I think, of revealing the ways that pride is infecting our hearts, really. Because if we're seeing these these um, if we're seeing them as interruptions rather than opportunities, it shows that in in a lot of ways we value our own time and our own priorities more than the time and, and potentially priorities of other people or or even of uh, God and the yeah. kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one other thing that we should be doing is is that we should be we should be working together to help one another see how. Um, God's work of humbling us is actually good news for us. Yeah. Um, so because when he is doing this, he is doing it to bring himself glory. And so um, something that's helpful to do is to think about how God's been work at, 
in in your own life. And so to ask one another, um, you know, what has been a time when God's humbled humbled you and, and what good ultimately came from it? And so if you're also experiencing this right now or think you might be, how um, how do you need to to reset your priorities to serve others so that you can reach them with the gospel? Because that's what it's all about is um, it's not just about um, humbling ourselves so that we can feel better. And I mean, we see this in Nebuchadnezzar's praise. He points us to the King of King and Lord, King of King and Lord of Lords, the one who um, it, he says um, uh, his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and he does whatever he wants um, with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There's no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Hmm. Um, and so he... Um, and so he he puts himself in the right in the in the right posture and 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 that's that thing that we need to challenge ourselves with constantly is to say okay where am i putting myself where am i elevating myself up above god to such a degree that he is going to hum, that he is going to humble me and it's going to hurt um, where have I seen him do that in, in my life in the past? Where is there the potential for that in the future? And to be praying, God, help me to stay humble. Help me to yeah. not um, think more highly of myself than I ought. Help me to not um, arrogantly talk back to you or, um, to, or to arrogantly presume upon you. Right. Um, and and um, I also I want to point out, again, Daniel – Daniel warned King Nebuchadnezzar, basically humble yourself, which makes me think of um, the end of First Peter in chapter five. Mm -hmm. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. So when you're in those moments of feeling that sense of arrogance or that sense of, you know, whatever isn't important enough for me to deal yeah. with right now, you can remind yourself that that you have the opportunity to humble yourself before God has to humble you for you. That yes. came out a little awkward, but, no, but I hopefully know what you, you I know what you mean. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right, Sam, that's a good place for us to, to wrap. That's a good Sounds thought. Good. All right. So uh, thanks for joining me again for um, for this. Uh, looking forward to having you co-host again sometime in the future. Yeah. Um, it'll be Anytime. great. All right. So listeners, uh, thanks for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.